Hello and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini, and I joined our host, Cody Schweikert, as well as Rich Chrisman and Dan Becker, for a conversation about AI and the arts. This is part two of that conversation. In part one, we discussed what AI is and why it's become so important recently, some positive use cases of the new AI tools, and some of our biggest concerns about the use of AI when it comes to the arts. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to go listen to that and then continue on here in part two. Richard, can you lead us into this next bit? You spoke a bit about how, hey, AI can like help the classroom. Talk about the flip side of that coin, please. Sure. So the only big problem that I perceive, so in the world of education, people are running around with like chickens with their heads cut off about chat GBT in particular particularly the newest version, GBT-4, which you do have to pay for, by the way, which is a good barrier for students. Yeah, thank goodness. um, But anyway. For now. (laughs) Yeah, for now. Soon free with advertising. (laughs) Yeah, right. Which are all AI-created ads. Why don't you just ask ChatGBT-3 to create a 4 for you? Can you create (laughs) Create a debit card for me? For free. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. In the realm of education, I think where this applies to the arts, though, the arts and, and faith, is the fact that one of the... I think inevitable side effects of this technology is going to be the fact that it is going to become increasingly difficult for people to acquire skills and higher level thinking, which is also a skill, higher level thinking skills, but also other skills as well. And I think the reason why, um, and I'll be totally, um, Transparent. Transparent, yes, with this. So the fact that we were allowed to have laptops in class in college when I was in college, right? I fully admit the fact that I probably learned only 50% of what I could have learned in college had I not had my laptop in class because (gasps) I would constantly be... um, No, but like I think about it often now that like I wasted and I was a person that wanted to be in school. Like I wasn't like I I enjoy learning. I was happy to be in class. Right. Most of the time. But like I would be so distracted by my laptop, you know, and I didn't even have a smartphone at the time. You know, like I would be so distracted by my laptop that I would miss like, you know, 10 minutes at a time of the professor talking about a particular thing or, or whatever. And so the same even though using your laptop to like scroll Remember stumble upon? Yeah. Oh. Um, oh. But you using, boy, that got me through all four years. Yeah, exactly. But using your laptop to stumble upon, right, is not the same as AI. But in the same way, now that dis- distracting yourself not from instruction but from the actual independent brain work that is required to learn something difficult. It is now so easy. It's like like what AI has done effectively is it's like we've given, this sounds dramatic, but I mean it seriously. It's like we've given students of all ages like a genie in the bottle where like mm. you can undetectably do an entire assignment without even thinking about it if you know how to do the prompts correctly. And I'm a teacher i'm a high school english teacher i'm a education college professor i do not read every word of every essay that gets submitted to me i i 
bet you most English teachers and professors are in the same boat, right? So no, we're not going to detect that you used AI to do that essay. Uh, most of the time, no, right? Unless I know that you cannot write and that you turn in some like beautiful thing, like that's a problem, right? <laughs> but um, uh, I'm going too long here. But the, the point though is the fact that it has become dangerously easy Mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. not do anything intellectually challenging mm-hmm. which is the way you actually learn exactly so mm-hmm. like the like tons of studies right have been done that uh that they say sage on the stage style instruction right someone standing in front of you teaching you something from the front and you just listen and take notes mm-hmm. tons of been of studies have shown that that is actually one of the least effective ways to learn right in actually uh mimicking a model and trying to produce something yourself independently is often the best way to learn a difficult task, right? And what AI does is it gives you a get out of jail free card anytime you want it. And when you are a, when your frontal lobe is not even close to developed yet and you could get on, you know, the PS seven or whatever's coming out in the future, (laughs) you know, why would I, uh, AI video games? Come on, guys. Anyway. Yeah. I yes. mean, it's already been done with reading, right? Where that was sure. like when we were in school, it was, well, what if instead of reading the book, I just read the Cliffs Notes? And right. that, that was oh, like the yeah. big problem is like these kids are all reading the Cliffs Notes instead of reading the actual book. But you, you know? still had to write the essay. You still had to write but the essay. But now you can, you, now you don't even need the Cliff Note. You don't even have to write it. Yep. Cliff it's Notes like, got you, me through You don't have to read it too. and you don't have to write it. Yep. And you definitely don't have to like synthesize it or summarize it. Like that's the very easiest thing to do. And here's the so, sad part analysis so so people and that stop me if i got too far here but like this is my life right but and but the way that we fixed like in in the past prior to 2015 at least in new york state the way that we assessed students knowledge of or like abilities in english literature right was what can you recall from books and then in around 2012-ish, we were like, that's not really fair because that's not a skill. It's just memory, right? So the assessments, the state assessments were redesigned to assess your ability to analyze information that you're seeing for the first time. And that's how New York State ex- assesses students now, right? ChatGBT is great, great at analyzing texts. And uh, unfortunately, like, so if I ask uh, students, right, to be like, read the Catcher in the Rye and The Great Gatsby, and sh- tell me how those two texts speak to the American experience. ChatGPT can give me a beautiful response to that using quotes from the text, you know, blah, 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 right? And if I don't like it, I can give it the same prompt again, and it'll give me a different, unique essay mm. the second time. Unbelievable. So Here's, here's my answer. Ready? Because I'm a teacher as well. Hey, kids, uh, put your laptops away for a minute. We're going to write our essays in <clears> class. Here is something we used to use it. It's called a pen. <laughs> and this is paper. It's physical paper from a real tree. And uh, you have 40 minutes to write this. Good luck. Goodbye. That's the only way to get in front of this. I'm getting anxious as a so, teacher now. No, we got to move think, on. Though, we got to move on. All right. one, uh, one line, I'll drop it after this. Because a lot of my coworkers have said the same thing that Cody just said. My one thing to that is that system will only work if they have been learning how to use the pencil and paper from the beginning because you can't have chat gpt your way to 11th grade and then suddenly know how to write an yeah. essay on paper but so, anyway so can i ask before and i'm sorry this is just this this question has been nitpicking my brain the entire time we've talked about education so this goes to cody and rich 
um, as just the educator. I talk too much. Uh, or just Cody. <laughs> so, I mean, you're young guys. <laughs> <laughs> that came at the perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so throughout history, uh, there has been elements of technology that have been brought into the classroom. And Since I feel like of time. every single time it happens, there is some argument to the extent of it's going to hurt our kids or they're not going to learn. Right. The calculator comes in. Oh, our kids aren't going to know how to do math. Computers came in. Oh, they're not going to learn how to type. I am Microsoft, talk, Microsoft Word adapted, <laughs> uh, you know, grammar errors and spelling yeah, errors. Grammarly, oh, they're not yeah. going to. We got Grammarly, et cetera, and so forth. So the question is this. Do you think that those have actually decreased uh, an individual's ability to learn? And do you think AI is going to do that as well? Rich is talking about how to think, which is what's at stake here. And I think that's fundamentally different from like, ah, you know, teachers always said, well, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket all the time. You're going to need to know how to do math. Well, guess what? We do have calculators in our pockets. You know, <laughs> if you have a cell phone, at least not everyone in the world does. But uh, I don't know. To me, these seem like different things. I, I, okay. I stand by my well, concern. Maybe in 50 years, I'll look like a curmudgeon and be wrong. But well, all I was going to say in response to that is and Cody did a great job like teeing this thought up, too, which is the fact that I think these increased technologies have enabled further learning of information. So you said that the calculator thing right mm. students now learn more complicated math due to the fact that they can use a calculator mm. than they ever did before the calculator however students today cannot do basic math without a calculator right. so so right. i think that what that what that means is we technology and i think forget education just in general i think it's a theme in the world that technology enables us to achieve higher heights but it cripples us without the technology. We become yeah. so dependent on more it yeah. that we can't yeah. do anything without it. Yeah, kind of I'm strips sorry. us of our of our humanity a little bit. I'll make that argument yep. if I have time. But yeah. uh, let's let's jump quickly Amen. to the. Uh, this is a fun chat. The uh, the whole, you know, the robots are taking all our jobs. Uh, fear. Um, so we've we've seen the uh, self checkout. Uh, in the grocery store, I love the self checkout. <laughs> I do too, unless yeah, there's a, uh, unless I've got a ton of like weird items where I'd have to punch in the codes myself. Anyway, this is getting a becoming boring quickly. I'll stop. Um, what other jobs are at stake here? Is this something that like we should be concerned about? There was a writer strike in Hollywood. I think. Am I remembering that correctly? Still because, ongoing. Yeah, yeah, still happening. Yeah, yeah. So, um, thoughts on that. Well, I, I think my my big thought on this is that there are a lot of situations in which in our current workforce in, you know, American and Western society, we have effectively turned people into robots. So we have trained people to work like robots or in robot-like environments. Mm -hmm. And my takeaway about AI replacing jobs is that to some extent it is going to take away the jobs of people who are doing robot-like jobs or who have forced to do the jobs like a machine would do them. Right. Mm -hmm. And to that extent, I'm not particularly concerned about it 
because it is going to then push people back to more humane mm. types of work. So to the extent that people are doing robot-like jobs and the robots are now going to take those jobs back and the people can go back to doing people things, I think that's okay. Um, I think there are a lot of situations in which that will not be the case. But to the extent that it, that it is, uh, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned. And so just to, to kind of add some color to this, I read a lot of Andy Crouch. Andy Crouch is an excellent uh, believer and thinker and does a lot of like business consulting and writing. Jubilee. And he has a lot of wonderful thoughts about faith and technology. Uh, one of his thoughts just, was just about these kind of inhumane environments. He talks about how uh, the urbanist Jane Jacobs outlined the elements of an urban environment that make it a healthy place for human habitation, which is like mixed-use buildings, uh, street-level interaction, limited traffic, priority for pedestrians. Um, but those, those environments are the worst for autonomous vehicles. So what's great for an autonomous vehicle is basically a highway. Because, like, an interstate is already an inhumane environment. Nobody wants to kind of stand or walk on the highway because it's already been kind of designed for machines. And so there's, there's an element to which our society has been building itself around machinery and technology to, like, most efficiently utilize that technology and has made it inhumane. And so to the extent that, you know, it's going to allow humans to get back to human things if we let... AI take over these like data entry jobs where we're just forcing people to act like computers. Fine. But to the extent that the advent of AI like autonomous driving is going to create more inhumane environments that don't allow for great human interaction and are just more focused on the efficient uh, conduction of machine work to that extent, I'm concerned. And I think both, both will occur. Hmm. My thought on this is that I think that AI is going to, it might be, you know, a couple of years from now, it might be 10 years from now, but I think AI is going to inevitably um, require something like universal basic income. And um, the reason why I say that is because I think that as these technologies increase, as the technologies get better, an increasing amount of jobs and careers will no longer be economically feasible for companies. And I think that what will happen is just the amount of career, both career fields and physical jobs that have salaries attached, right, um, will go down significantly. And I think that we will have a, you know, a, a societal crisis in that case. And I think that what will I, I almost think that inevitably what we are headed toward is like an Andrew Yang style situation where we have, you know, um, companies that employ AI and highly creative people to produce wealth, which is then um, spread around the society as needed. Um, and I'm not saying that this is, I'm not putting a, a, a positive or negative on this, but I think it's an inevitable outcome just to use a, a stupid but like very practical example that everyone can experience, right? The um, in like New York City and LA and Miami, um, like McDonald's is already running completely like human-free restaurants, right? 
So any job that traditionally has been like unskilled jobs, right? They're like service oriented or things like that. That one is an obvious one, but also anything that is generative that doesn't require a lot of original thought. So like copywriting, email writing, you know, all the th things like that, right? A lot of generative careers are going to disappear over time as well. Um, I just found out recently that a radio station that I listened to was using a completely AI DJ for a period of like a few days while the person like took up, right? So like, I mean, I'm a boomer for listening to the radio anyway, but the point is like the... Correct. Yeah, but I'm saying, but I'm saying like, you know, <laughs> but the... Um, but the point, the point, though, is I think that so many jobs will be lost that it is going to ultimately lead to a necessary restructuring of our economic system. And that's something, okay. you know, that's crazy. I, I want to pass this to Dan, but first I want to respond to Rich with a, a quote from one of my favorite philosophers, probably the, the man I've spent the most time with thinking about his work and his thoughts. Um it's and his name is Michael Scott from Oh nice. Um he says uh his his uh protege, young smart guy going to business school at night, talks about how, you know, the office uh paper industry is uh not, you know, long for the future and it's uh it's gonna go out of business because their their business model is uh irrelevant. And Michael Scott says this to Ryan. Uh, a good manager doesn't fire people. He hires people and inspires people. People, Ryan. And people will never go out of business. So, uh, I, I just want to... I seriously I wanna... pray that that is true. <laughs> that, that would be yeah. great. I just want to lay that before us to, yeah, to meditate yeah. and but sit, with, sit with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dan, thoughts on this before we move on? I'm thinking about it from the corporate America perspective because that's the world that I live in. Paychecks. <laughs> just a mom are, and are pop people going to keep getting paychecks in the future? Well, and like that's the thing, right? So They'll I'm thinking about <laughs> there is so I, – I, 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 forgive me because I don't remember which one of you guys said it, but um, corporate America has a tendency to create – worker bee jobs rich i think you might have said a certain name yeah. so yeah all those jobs can be replaced by ai right a lot of it is just i i, I have a there are jobs dan's in, colleague if you're listening i'm sorry <laughs> there there are jobs at my company which we will not name uh that their entire job is to sit on the phone with a tax agency all day because that tax agency's hold times can be anywhere from two to five hours long. That's their job. So it's like, yeah, no. AI could do that. No. And, and I don't, that's evil. And I don't want to take a job away from a human person, but at the same time, I would kind of like to see culture move in a different direction like where, they're probably not using their god-given gifts at that right job. right and 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 i don't want to necessarily like blame it on them what but how god many situations how many situations are people in where they're like we don't have the resources availability time money etc and so forth to discover what our passion is right and to discover are we a mm. mechanic are we an artist are we a whatnot 
they need money because that's how we're run. So if AI takes some of those jobs away, those worker bee jobs away, does that then free up culture to move in a direction where people can start exploring their passions and, and their artistic and creative side? I truly hope so. But my, my pessimistic thought though, is like, if those jobs go back to the computers, like Nate said, as yeah. they should, right? If those jobs become, become mechanized, where does the money come from? Right. That then, you know, everybody that was removed from sitting on hold with the insurance agency, like, cool, like, great. Like, right. go into your passion, but who's going to pay you for it? That's what I'm afraid of. Machines making machines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if droids I, could think, there'd be none of us here, would there? <laughs> <laughs> I think that technology uh, can, has the capacity to, not always, but just dehumanize people. Like, think about... Social media, that's the easiest example, low-hanging fruit. Uh, we have replaced some of us, uh, our social lives and human connection with social media, which, as we know, is not real human connection. It's not what we were made for. It's, not, it's a fine thing. It's not a good supplement for real human connection, right? We all agree with that. But what yep. if I throw the nail... What about this? The nail gun. Nail gun. You ever use one of these things? Very Love convenient. Love nail guns. Super cool. Very Pretty quick. Sweet. But what if I said this? The hammer is far more humanizing. You gotta hold a hammer. You gotta feel the material. You gotta hold the nail. You're more familiar with where you are and the the materials uh, that you're working with. You develop calluses on your hands from using a hammer. This is like, it becomes part of your identity. There's a lot of dignity in something like that. And I think it's the same way with the, uh, I, I don't know, I'm thinking about that as we talk about work and AI. Yeah. Um, That's but good. I don't know. Uh, at the same time, like, if you're building a home for, like, a widow, just use the nail gun. It's going to be faster, and you're going to be able to do more good yeah. more quickly. So, I don't know. Vanity. Well, Cody, I think that's a great lead-in that I think uh, relates to our, our topic of AI and spiritual formation. But... Andy Crouch has this other uh, passage I wanted to read that has to do with tools versus devices. And what you said made me think of that, that it's like we've got some things that are these tools like a hammer, but then we've got these other things that are these devices that have taken away our effort. So Andy says, there's not just one story of technology playing out in the world. There are two. The first is the ancient story. Uh, of tools through which human beings extend our heart, soul, mind, strength, capacities into the world. And initially, tools extended our physical strength, but eventually, uh, tools like pencils or typewriters extended our mind to the ability to write down and work out thoughts. Um, you know, musical instruments extending our hearts, things like this. Um, but he says, what separates tools from devices can be stated plainly. Tools require and reward human involvement while devices bypass and replace it. Oh! Human beings use tools, and tools are used by human beings. But devices are distinguished by the fact that as they progress, they require less and less human involvement to operate. They're built on two great discoveries, sources of autonomous power that do not depend on human or animal bodies, and what we broadly call cybernetics, the ability to create self-governing systems sound familiar, that modulate their own action in response to the world around them. 
So Skynet. Yeah. yeah. He says, Skynet, uh, <laughs> Wally, iRobot. Go ahead, Nate. As devices improve in advance, human skill becomes less and less required to the point of atrophy. As the world begins, beautifully and perhaps magically, to operate on its own. Mm. See, dehumanization. That, yeah. that's, I think Andy Crouch exactly. just sa- said what I was trying to say a little bit better. <laughs> We've just so removed human effort from the equation in so many of the things that we brought into our society, but perhaps most obviously with AI, that it requires less and less human effort to get the results we want. And we have Mm -hmm. to ask the question, what is this doing to us as people? As we found faster and faster shortcuts to more and more incredible outcomes, what has taking those shortcuts done to us as people? And what will getting used to these shortcuts due to our future selves and to our children as it just becomes mm. normal that yeah. these, these I, shortcuts are just, right. that's just what we do. I think, I think a, a good like analogy of that actually comes back to reading. Like we talked about where like, or I'm sorry, not reading. Let's talk about like the acquisition of story, right? Let's call it that. Right. Because mm-hmm. like before reading, there was like, in order to hear a story, a person needed to live go through the effort of recounting a story to Mm -hmm. you and you would listen Mm -hmm. to it right and then it got written down which is cool because now you can take the story with you but depersonalized though depersonalized but Mm -hmm. you have to craft the story in your brain by reading little markings on a page right which is takes work effort right and then if we move books to like an audio format right i like audiobooks i'm reading them now but an audiobook, I can close my eyes and lay down on the couch and listen, right? It's much more, mm. it's much less active, right? And then with film and visual, you know, mediums, right? Again, nothing against films, but we don't engage our brain nearly as much as when we read or even more so when we engage with a live storyteller. So mm. I think that reading is like a or, or storytelling or whatever you want to call it is like a really um an analogy that we've all experienced and like everybody knows that if you really push your way through a book it's different than watching the movie you know yes yeah it's not as convenient that's what we're coming up against is yes the devices they make life way more convenient and easier but in church we talk about do we talk about those as virtues like Oh, my life. I just want to live an easy life. If I said that at like a Bible study, you guys would be like, hey, man, it's 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 okay to not want suffering and it's okay to like enjoy blessings and things. But your biggest desire should not be for an easy life. Like God is sanctifying you through a, a rich experience that involves Jesus like. Jesus was like, I have come to give you life to the easy. Life to the that's convenient. right. Like as the good book like, says, like, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> context there, but but uh, that's that's my point. Is like the I don't know. There's something about like God is not necessarily so concerned with like us having the perfect circumstance and finishing tasks mm-hmm. as quickly as possible so that we have more time to just like veg out and watch TV. I think he's much more concerned with like. Hey, it's not about what you're doing, but who you're becoming as you're doing it, which, mm. which of course is the spiritual formation thing. There's a exactly great Switchfoot song 
that sums all this up called Chem 6A, where the first two verses are nothing but a chemical in my head. It's nothing but laziness because I don't want to read the book. I'll watch the movie because it's not me. I'm just like everybody else my age. I think I'd rather play around. I think I'd rather watch TV because I don't want to face my fears. I'll watch the movie. It's not me. Wow. I don't want to be here. I don't wow. want to study We're going to get copyrighted. Now. You sound exactly like... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Beautiful. No, I wow. think I think that's so John Foreman, that's so you're good. invited to Forefront anytime. It's a great, it's a great song. And yeah. He emails me. He emails me every week trying to get on the show. One of these days we're going to make it happen, John. You, Stay patient. You made my heart just like <laughs> skip a beat before I realized you were kidding. Well, Sean, Sean chatted with him in person and he said he'd be happy to go on the show, but then discussions fell through after that mm. anyway um uh, do, we, do we have final thoughts on this before i ra- i throw it to nate for like a, a closing idea well i i think i would just say in re- in response to what you said uh you know b- both of you which is very insightful is that you know there's a human idea that the ends justify the means and i think as thoughtful people and as christians we know to reject that idea as kind of our philosophy of life, which is to say that God actually cares more about the means that we use. And God Mm -hmm. basically says, I will figure out the ends. Don't Mm -hmm. worry about that. I am sovereign. You are not. I -hmm. actually want you to do the right thing that actually Mm -hmm. the means matter more and you should worry less about the ends. And we so easily try to do the opposite. And I think Mm -hmm. if we integrate AI into as many aspects of our life as will be tempting to do so, we will be eliminating the means by which we do great things in pursuit of trying to achieve the greatest ends as quickly as possible. And -hmm. we will be focusing far more on the ends than the means. And then we will say, it doesn't matter how we got here. We got here. And isn't that great? Mm. Wow. Sola Scriptura. Beautiful. I don't know what that means. It, I just know it's like a... <laughs> <laughs> it means it's like a theological scripture like catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like what Dance. we drop at the end of a... It's totally different. Like people yeah. normally just nod when you say that, and that's kind of the end of it. Yeah. People who don't Dan's know like, about it. Yeah. Dan's like, I've been saying that for years whenever I'm around like 20 year old white Christian guys. Yo, so I've never gotten in trouble. I've never gotten in trouble. And in yeah. and in Gro- in the crowd of Grove City, everyone was like, <laughs> "Sola gratia, amen, brother. Sola vide, bro." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got oh, full damn. Hulk Hogan with it. Heck yeah, that brother. Heck yeah, brother. <laughs> Collect all five solas. Got to catch them all. Oh no! Wow. Going off the deep end. Oh boys. Well, it is after dark. Yeah, this is turning into after dark episode. Oh, we can't mention that on this show. This is the flagship show. We don't mention Forefront After Dark. Nope. I just think it's, uh, while I've said a lot of negatives, uh, I started by saying in the beginning that I thought that AI was not, like, the worst thing in the world. I just want to point out the fact that, like, while there are, like, significant perils that could come forth from this technology 
I don't think they need to be. I just fear that the human, uh, the the hearts of men are too easily corrupted. And I think mm. that we have been presented with this tremendous power to make our lives easier and to take away jobs and dignity from other humans. And I think that humanity as a whole is not mature enough and Christ-like enough to wield this power well. Is it possible nice. to learn this power? Not from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Bro, amazing response. I thought you were just going to say Jedi. Dan, what's going through your mind right now? Um, as humanity, we have spent years guessing what will happen if we embrace AI. We made a few movies about it. We've made a few movies about it. And we guess what will happen based off of what Hollywood says and based off of what we know about humanity. But at the end of the day, it's happening. We can't stop it. And so we can just hope for the best. And uh, yeah. Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura, you know what I mean, man? Sola Scriptura, boys. Is the subtext of that like Hakuna Matata or something? This is a classic. This is a classic Sola Scriptura moment right here. Amen. This good. Mean? Is that so I want to I want to go off of something Cody you said earlier that has to do with uh, just realizing when it comes to AI and the arts that I'm experiencing this piece of art and a human didn't even create it that there's no human behind it this was just like a machine that was trained on human works that created this thing and what does that do what are the implications of that and to me one of them has to do with artistic interpretation that there are these different ideas of how we interpret art and what the meaning of art is. And there's one kind of philosophy of artistic interpretation that basically says the, the, the meaning of art is what you take from it. That, that is really when you experience art in the moment and you develop a meaning in your head, that is really the only thing that matters. And if that's the only thing that matters, then it doesn't really matter whether something was created by right. a human or mm. by AI because what matters is what you take from it. Mm. So who, who cares how it was formed as long as you, experiencing, you experience some positive emotion out of it. But isn't that the spirit of the age, though? <laughs> it is. But like what it, I mean, <laughs> I mean it sincerely, like, like yeah. almost just that line you just said, like, like who cares how it was formed? How yeah. can I derive pleasure and meaning out of this? Right. It took us two hours to get to. Who cares? <laughs> who cares? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's a lot of what we will run into in, in discussions about AI is like, why does it really matter as long as I like what it created? Um, and but but that comes to again. There's this other uh, philosophy of artistic interpretation that involves the intention of the creator. That the intention of the creator matters. And in in my own like philosophy of artistic interpretation, I don't think that's the only thing that matters, right? So I don't I don't say the only thing that matters about this movie is what the director wanted to communicate, right? I think that there are things that I might take out of the movie that the director did not intend, but are valid to come from that piece of art. So I think that there is there is a dance that takes place between the intention of the creator and the experience of the viewer, and we have to hold those two things together as both is both contributing to the meaning of the work. But if that's true, if you agree with me about that, then art being generated by AI has a serious deficiency 
in that there is none or very little artistic intention behind it. There may be some minimal intention, which is to say somebody had some thought and put in some prompts, Mm. but essentially there's no person behind the work crafting the light, the shadows, the people, the faces, the places, how everything looks and feels and acts. The intention is simply not there. It is a machine taking a model and putting something out. And that removal of intentionality, that removal of humanity, I think saps a very important part of the essence of a work of art and will take that away from the meaning that we're able to attain from the art that we experience, whether that is stories or imagery or movies or whatever it might be. And that, I I think that that would be a tragic loss if the majority of the work we consume has removed intentionality from it. Mm. Beautifully said. Love your deep insights. Uh, I love spending time with each of you gentlemen tonight. Um, Listeners, thank you uh, for listening to this episode of Forefront 360. Uh, You know, we don't know what the future holds. Whether you find yourself enjoying an AI-generated utopia, or you find yourself trying to survive the impending robot apocalypse, we hope that you, human beings, if you're still out there, please keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art.